The secret ingredient to your law firm success is the people who are working as part of your team to make things happen. I'm Leah Levy, co-founder of Nanato Media, and this is In Camera Podcast, where we're only as good as the team who supports us. podcast private legal marketing conversations grace welcome back spring break time how are you good good yeah it's definitely spring break i'm in fort lauderdale florida so you can imagine what it looks like here yes yes grace i'm jealous i couldn't be more jealous of the people spending time right now outdoors in the beach in a safe environment you know what can't wait for it. As a matter of fact, Grace, like I've been dreaming about NTL, which of course it's a work, it's a business trip, but you know, just the idea of being seaside is just it's blowing my mind. I've been spending a lot of time just thinking about it without necessarily getting much preparation for the actual event, because that's one thing that's really, you know, we don't think about it that much, but how is it going to be like, right? Being back at these events in front of hundreds, if not thousands of people and going from, from zero to that, right? In just a matter of a day or hours. So I think it's going to be very interesting, but I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. I am too. I can't wait to see everybody again in person. <laughs> I know, right? And one that's a, that's, a, that's I think, one, one of the things that it's going to be very, very interesting to see how it's going to turn out. Like what elements of all of these remote communications and remote working are going to remain and are going to still be around well after we are fully capable of transitioning back to in-person and kind of like the the way we used to run business in the past, which elements we're going to retain and we're going to say, wait, we now know that we're way more efficient at doing certain things remotely, just jumping on a Zoom call, not having to travel for every single meeting, for every single gathering to meet with every single client and which things are actually going to stick around, right? Which conferences are are actually going to have still the weight to retain the interest from people and say, this is worth traveling for me. Because I think if one of the biggest realizations that we've all had over this past year is how much time has gone wasted in just moving from one place to another, just, just for hour to hour long meetings, events. I mean, is it actually worth it? And in some cases, the answer is yes. And in some cases, the answer is probably not. It could have, there is more efficient ways of doing it. So I think this is going to be very interesting to see which ones end up falling in which one of these blocks. Don't you think? Definitely. I mean, I've, I've been thinking about that even from the beginning, you know, once all of this is over, what's going to happen, right? I mean, who's going to go which way? And, you know, there's a lot of the tech companies at the beginning that just immediately went remote and they immediately declared that they yeah. would not go back, right? Like Twitter right. is an example. So, yeah, I mean, it's been in the back of my mind for a while too. How's all this going to shake out? <laughs> what's gonna right. And, and, and as you've said, I mean, there's a lot of companies that have decided that they will now give either the option or they're now splitting to uh, most of time remote and just some of the work done 
in the office. But I, I think it's also going to be very interesting what things actually are the things that get done when people work at the office. Because I also think we're going to be way more strategic at that. I think there's a lot of things that can be more efficiently or you can get better results by actually doing them face-to-face -face with people. And there are some other things that they're perfectly fine and work perfectly well with a remote setting. So that organization of different tasks and activities, I think that's also a very interesting thing. And in reality, I mean, the office work particularly, or even these conferences, what is really the value of them? I think it's more so the social part of it, the interaction, the, the sharing of ideas, the, the open conversations, because, I mean, you know, just going somewhere, sitting down and hearing somebody else speaking out is something that you can very well do in Zoom or webinars. But actually, you know, joining conversations, meeting up people, hearing different ideas, entering into discussions, I think it's something that has a lot of value when it's happening in person. Although now there's Clubhouse and a few other things that allow you to have those, this kind of like impromptu networking opportunities. But again, I, I, I still think the personal element still has a very, very heavy weight, particularly in our industry, Grace. So um, yeah, that's an interesting conversation and one that probably we're going to be going back to every single day until we actually meet again in NTL. Grace, we're going to meet again. We're actually going to be there. Who knows? We may even record an episode there. That's actually so exciting. I'm uh, so much looking forward to it. But um, I know you wanted to share some news and updates that you recently received via email from Google, and I'm all up for it. I want to hear what is Google saying? Yeah. So, you know how we've, you and I have constantly done quite a few year in reviews, I'd say, right? Where it's mm -hmm. like, okay, this is what's happened since COVID. This is what we think is going to happen going forward. Well, Google kind of did the same thing and they just sent out an email on one of their think with Google um, emails, uh, you know, I'm subscribed to everything that is potentially related to Google. So I like to kind of read through all that all the time. I like that. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I, I love Google and everything that has to do with Google. So I try to <laughs> kind of keep up with everything that they send and read as much as I can. Yes, so it's one of their, is, um, which is impossible and it's a real ongoing challenge, but it's a good challenge to have. It is, it is. And you know, I'm a speed reader, so I kind of go through these really, really quickly and I try to absorb as much as I can every day. <laughs> is that such a skill? I mean, speed reading is, I'm not a speed reader. I actually need to really, really, really concentrate and sometimes read twice things for them to somewhat stick. So, um, well, yeah, I'm jealous. Uh, Natalie, my co-founder, she's also a speed reader and she, that's such an amazing skill. I have something for you, for anybody. Okay that wants to enhance their speed reading skills or actually become a speed reader potentially, I read Marilyn Vosavant's book. She is uh, very well known in the speed reading world. Um, read her book. It's a small handbook. It's not very big. Uh, she teaches you some skill sets to learn how to speed read with comprehension. Well, that's Marilyn Vosavant. So that very, sounds very really good. interesting. I'll search for it. And if I can find it, I will post it on the episode notes. Fantastic. And give it a read as well. <laughs> so uh, Google's think at a glance, right? They're, they're one year in, they wanted to look at what they call the agility, resilience, and pivots that have helped companies navigate extreme uncertainty, including themselves. 
So they just had a couple of takeaways from a difficult year. And it's funny how how much this is aligned with what you and I have spoken of as a whole for all businesses, for all law firms, and as specific as what's going on in our lives, right? The first thing they say is stay true to who you are. Isn't that what we're always saying? Have your story and, and be you. That's always a good piece of advice. It is. And then they go on to say, you know, build from strong foundations. You know, th that has to do with your team and building out your team and making sure that, you know, the people that you have in place are the people that you feel like can help the most, help your clients the most, help your business the most. And that's considered a strong foundation. So, you know, I feel like a lot of the things that they're giving you, it's it's probably four or five of them. Um, and I'm going to go through them pretty quickly because they're just the things that you and I have spoken about over mm -hmm. and over again. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So the next one is empathy. Empathy always. How many times have you and I spoken about empathy and just yeah. putting yourself in someone else's shoes, especially with COVID? We have to, right? We have to do that because it's the only way that we're going to understand what anyone else is going through in business and right. our clients. Right. Of course. It's all about creating a connection and building trust and um, starting from empathy it's a great way of getting there. Exactly. And then, you know, to me, these kind of like last two that they talk about kind of go together and that's mm -hmm. walk the talk and be human. Walk the talk. It, what they're talking about there is the, the extraordinary call for racial equity, you know, and equality last summer. You know, mm -hmm. it, none of us are going to forget that, you know, because this is this is more important than anything that's going on. Everyone is important. Everyone yeah. needs to be thought of, and and we all have to be a part of the answer, not the problem, right? So yeah. that's part of what they're saying. Walk the talk, and honestly, be human. We're all people, and so yeah. what whatever our differences are, we all bleed red. So I feel like these are very basic things, but I really like that they kind of put it together and did a, kind of a reflection, you know, a. a end of quarter, first quarter reflection as to what's happened over the last years, the last year with COVID and everything that's gone on. What do you think? I actually agree. I mean, I think they're all very, very, very kind of like baseline tips for success coming from Google or anybody else. And I think it's very telling when Google puts up this messaging because it also gives you hints and cues as to what is it that they are doing in terms of setting up their priorities and uh, how are they going to walk the talk, right? Because they are actually saying, okay, well, you have to walk the talk. It's not just about saying and acting and then not really being there. I think, Grace, this came up on one of our episodes, as you've said, um, at the end of last year, it was really Google holding accountable companies, websites, for what they're saying and what they're doing. They're committing to taking action on certain things and taking a stance over other things and they're actually doing it, right? And we know Google is uh, all about AI and algorithms and tracking changes and tracking uh, social sentiment and everything that's happening surrounding a brand. So they can very well gather this information and start favoring those brands who are actually having an impact and actually standing through to what they say and unfavor those who are not, right? So it is something to keep in mind. 
Grace, great article there and or newsletter. And I also just want to quickly touch while we're on the Google uh, topic. This week, a report was released from Google saying that over 3.1 billion ads were actually blocked last year from the Google Ads platform. And this is pretty remarkable and a good reminder of, in my opinion, two things. Number one, that Google is really pushing hard towards keeping Google Ads and Google as a whole as a safe environment for both users and advertisers. And um, number two is that you really need to know what you're doing and who you're up against when entering Google Ads world, right? It's not a fraud-free environment and you certainly need to be very cautious as to both as an advertiser and as a brand, how is it that you're exposing yourself with when getting into Google Ads? I'm not saying don't do it. You should, and it's you know a critical element of your marketing strategy. But of course, this is a good reminder that you certainly need to take precautions, have fraud prevention plans and solutions embedded in your strategy so you can actually take proactive approaches to defend yourselves, your ads and your brand against anything that can go wrong. What do you think? I, that's so important, Liel. <clears throat> and I want people to, to really pay attention to what you just said. You know, clickbait, right? And click fraud <clears throat> is out there. And if you don't know it and you don't understand it, then ask somebody who does, like Liel. I mean, you really need to reach out if you don't understand what that is and how to protect yourself from it because it's so important particularly with all of the hackathons and all the fraud that is going out there, period. So, you know, how you and I have always talked about security and, you know, and trying to protect your brand, that's all the same part of the same conversation. Your advertising is part of your brand. Making sure you're not paying too much because somebody just all of a sudden did some click fraud, you need to protect yourself from that. So that's all part and parcel of what we constantly talk about. If you don't know how to protect yourself and you don't understand it, make sure you ask either if you already have a vendor that's doing it, you have somebody in-house, ask them, tell them, this is a concern of yours. How are, how are they mitigating that risk? And if they can't answer, <clears throat> answer that for you, you potentially need another vendor or you need to help your in-house person understand how to help your company and your brand protect itself from click fraud. Or reach out to someone like Liel who can help you figure out what kind of strategy. And that's, you know, when he runs these campaigns, he, he has that in his, in the, not just the back of his mind, it's the forefront of his mind. How do I protect my clients from click fraud? Well, thanks for the acknowledgement, but it's, it, it's about that. And at the same time, also about monitoring, right? It, everything that's happening with your campaigns. Um, again, we've spoke about cold tracking, how important it is, understanding when you're being targeted by spam calls, because a, a lot of these things you can see that Google is taking proactive approach to actually try to prevent and take corrective action when uh, fraudulent activity is detected. But oftentimes it just doesn't happen, right? They don't necessarily identify it. And so you need to be also tracking so you can report back to them and say, hey, this is happening and be able to advocate your case, right? <laughs> Literally so that you could actually get them to 
take the corrective action that they should have taken initially. But it's a good testament that Google is actually taking steps and putting at the forefront of thing of their priorities to keep Google Ads as a safe environment. So that was just something that uh, was discussed this week, and I thought we should mention it here. But Grace, one of the things that you've said just now about Google and their kind of like takeaways for the last year and things that they've learned was uh, build, trust, rely, nurture your team, right? That was one of the points they brought up. And I want us to have a conversation and one that actually is all based about actionable things, Grace, on how to go about recruitment, right? Because it doesn't have to be for a specific position, but I think the idea of having to bring someone new to the team sometimes can just feel like a jigsaw and you don't know where to start building from because you either are not too clear as to what the position is going to be for or you want it to cover too many things and then end up having a very ambiguous role and then goes the search and then the interviews and then the job offer so grace do you think you can help us here figure this out and create some basic guidelines for our listeners to follow if they are in this process? Certainly. So as you know, I, I always have like a thousand things going at once and we're always opening some new company or doing something different. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So um, as part of it, I am actually in the middle of uh, hiring a couple more um, lead fulfillment slash intake people that you know, we, we pay pretty well. Um, I think that's one of those super important things. You know, you need to start with that. You need to make sure that you are paying what's not just equitable, but also a little bit more, because if that's what you want, you want an in-house person and you need an in-house person, you want that in-house person to stay with you for a long time. Um, and to be motivated to increase their skill set, right? Because you're going to do some training regardless of what you do. Um, because they need to learn your specific systems. So as part of it, you need to pay decent. Um, and a decent rate, it depends on where you are, right? I'm in Miami, Fort Lauderdale, South Florida area. So for us, it's generally, you know, 12 to $15 an hour is a good rate of pay. Um, we pay 15 normally per hour in this kind of job set, right? Where it comes to the intake and, and just data entry is what I like to call it. So when I put out a request for uh, like a job and I put out an, a job description, I don't call it intake. Why not? I don't call it intake because what I want this person to do is to have data entry and customer service components. So that's what I call the job because the assessments or the skills that I'm looking for are, can you pay attention to data? Can the data be entered correctly? Can you look across different types of data and make sure it's correct? And then can you speak to these people in a way that is empathetic, shows that you care, but is customer service oriented in the sense that you get them qualified, you take care of what you have to take care of, and you get them signed up. So that's how I look at an intake person. To me, I, I believe that person is a qualification person, is a customer service and data entry person. So that's so what's the name. So what's the name of the role? Data entry agent? I actually put, and they allow you to do this on uh, the system that I use. I use Indeed. 
which is, you know, like uh, hot wire, I mean, excuse me, like hot jobs and monster jobs, mm -hmm. and zip recruiter. They're all this. It's very similar. I use right. Indeed because I like the assessments that Indeed has. So, and they also allow you to choose job descriptions and it'll give you um, an idea of what that job description entails. And what I put on there was customer service slash data entry. Excellent. Right. So that's the job description that popped up. I modified it slightly to basically say um, what I want them to do in terms of customer service and exactly what I want them to do in terms of data entry. And all that is, is you're going to be entering information based on what a customer tells you on the phone into a database. It's as simple as that. But I need you to have customer service skills and attention to detail skills. So how do you how do you even achieve that? You know, I, I know that uh, um, we've spoken before about like uh, Crisp's Colby assessments and, you know, they have a couple of these other assessments that help you determine the role type and, you know, those types of things. Those are great if you have them in place, but if you don't and you need some kind of a recruiting tool, I rely on a company like Indeed because they have those pre-built into their system. And they actually, after COVID, increased the tools that they have available for you by adding a Zoom meeting type component so that you can do interviews online. So in looking for this person, I posted a job description of customer service data entry, and I included two assessments. The assessments are free as part of Indeed, and they give these assessments to the person that's applying. My two assessments, one was about data entry. Can you Pay attention to detail. And the second one was customer service. And I'll give you a quick example. The data entry one showed you two tables. And they showed you on the left, they had a couple of numbers. On the right, they had another couple of numbers. And they said, comparing these two tables, what is different? And then they'll give you kind of similar questions through the throughout the assessment. And once you pass or don't pass, they have levels between completed all the way up to expert or highly proficient. So it gives you, as the hiring person, the opportunity to look through assessments, look through the resume. If they have a cover letter, you can choose basically exact candidate that you want based on your criteria, just like anybody would be doing when they're trying to qualify a client for a case. Right. So you set up your qualifiers, basically, and you can already filter out the candidates that meet certain criteria. And out of those who meet it, you can then look into um, other characteristics on their applications or their test results, and then invite for an interview those who actually um, seem to be the best qualified, right? Exactly, exactly. So that's how the whole process works. And like I said, I use Indeed. I don't even sponsor the jobs because I get enough applicants. And we all know right now, everyone kind of needs a job. So yeah. um, have you ever used Indeed? So we use LinkedIn whenever we are doing a recruitment. But I don't think, quite frankly, that they have these assessments that you're talking about. And that actually sounds great. Other than that, everything else in terms of looking at the at certain experience levels, at their resumes, like it's very good at allowing you to filter out and qualify, pre-qualify candidates based on their skill sets, experience, location so forth and so on. It's fantastic. It allows you also to host uh, interviews from the platform itself, just like you've mentioned, which is very convenient. But this part of the assessments is one thing that I haven't uh, really uh, checked on. 
and it's actually really good, right? It's very convenient. The only thing that I would say we do slightly different than that is we uh, break down our interview process into uh, different sections. And usually um, we are looking a little bit more personality based, right? And then and then focus on the on, on the skills if the personality part has been accomplished. And the one way that we conduct interviews that I really took with me from having worked in the hotel world and really having done hundreds of interviews was when interviewing a candidate, asking questions that are experience-based. So tell me about a time that, right? As opposed as what is this, what is that, that are more theoretical, but actually really ask them to speak out of circumstances, situations where they've been, that they've had to implement or do things in such a way. And um, that really gives you more insights as to how people actually respond, behave on the war, on the job. And so I, I, I would just want to point out that, that it's way more valuable than asking questions that are more technical and theoretical because anyone can really learn that and nail the interview perfectly. And then when you bring them on board all from the sudden, you decide, you realize that they're not necessarily the right fit. It's just, that's one of the things that you can actually get to and kind of get an idea of through personality tests and uh, emotional intelligence tests. And those are fantastic. Uh, we're just, I would say, a little bit more manual in that. And the reason why we can also afford to do that is because we also don't recruit that oftenly, right? So whenever we're on the process of recruitment, we can actually put ourselves to that uh, process. But I 100% understand the efficiency and why would you want to leverage systems like the ones you are when you have to do this every single month? Well, not only that, but um, so to your point, you're 100% right. You need some personality components because I could be the best data entry person in the world. But if I can't speak to you or you can't speak to somebody, we're going to have problems because you have to do that. You have to speak to somebody. So just because right. you're good at that entry doesn't mean you're going to be good at communication. That's why I added the secondary assessment. And that was the customer customer service assessment. Now the customer service assessment, it was really funny because it specifically asked, um, it didn't care what business line you were in. It's just asking customer service oriented questions. One of the questions in the, um, in the template that they show you, it, it wasn't going to be the exact question, but one of the questions they asked you was, let's pretend you work for an airline and a customer comes up to you at your gate, shows you their boarding pass and says, I don't know where my, where my gate is. Can you please help me? And then it gave you potential answers to those questions. How would you respond as the employee of this airline? And it, the yeah. potential answers were, uh, um, you know, you can look on the board, you know, of course, yeah. we know in hospitality, yeah. You don't say the, that. The worst one. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, it went through those kind of different components to help me understand what their personality would be like in terms of the customer service skill set that I am looking for. So, yes, you're 100% right. Personality is super important. Yeah. But the only way I can get to that point is by adding my criteria and the assessments that are helping me in Indeed to kind of determine the personality part of it for customer service that I need but I also need the data entry. So a person could come up as highly proficient in data entry and they all they did was complete the assessment, meaning they didn't even rank at all on the customer mm -hmm. service side. I'm not taking that person, but I can immediately disqualify them. Yeah, I hear you, Grace. Listen, and quite frankly, if 
if you're getting because that's another thing right i mean n not every n not every uh market you are in the position where you can actually get enough applicants to to find you know to have a pool where you can say well i'm just going to focus on the on the on the 10% that actually got you know all of these assets, assessments above 90% right and then have this much of experience you need to also take into consideration into consideration how's your local job market and where and you know can you actually find that talent easily and 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 start setting your benchmark from there um because that's another thing right we would all want to always be able to hire the best and the most talented and but sometimes it's just not there it's just not there so you need to you need to balance that out and also understand you know when you need and i remember were, i have i had this a lot at hotels when it was certain times like you've been recruiting for a position for for two months and you just cannot find the right fit and sometimes you need to make the call are we holding the bar way too high or do we need to make some compromises here and just pull the trigger recruit the best of the worst sorry to put it that way and then develop them internally um and that's when you start looking and 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 that's really right why why personality is so 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 important but there's just so sometimes that you you have to have the technical skills up at least some foundation so for things to work grace that's really really good now okay you find the right candidate you're inviting them to an interview how many interviews what What's the what, what's the process there? Just give us an idea because that's another thing. There are some organizations where people, you know, have one two interviews. There are some organizations where every single person, almost that has a manager title in the company, has to meet an interview and such. And so, is it necessary? Is not necessary? What do you think? So I think that the people that are going to be involved directly with the individual should be the ones involved in the interview. Um, why? Because obviously the person that's going to be managing that individual should be the one that's making at least a part of the decision, if not the ultimate decision to hire them, because they will be responsible for them, right? So I don't yeah. feel like everybody has to be involved, but there should be some kind of input in terms of, yes, you have the authority to do this. So the individual that is directly responsible for that person is the one that needs to be the one doing the interview or one step above if you have, let's say, an HR department or, um, you know, a specific recruiting company or something like that. Obviously, they're the ones who would be um, handling it based on whatever your criteria was. So in my case, you know, I'm the one that goes through the um, resumes, making sure that the assessments are kind of on point and and to your point before about just pulling the trigger, yeah, that that kind of happened to me on a specific role that I was looking for before we had our current um, content coordinator, uh, Lindsay. She um, she passed through a bunch of assessments, and as a matter of fact, I had to give I gave uh, like a test, my own physical test that I they had to timely send me something back for posting, you know, for social media posting to show me that they could do it besides the assessment. She was the only one, actually there were two people, but she was the only one that did it in the time frame that I asked. And then I still put her through two interviews, one on the phone, and this was before COVID, right? So it was one on the phone and one in person. Yeah. Um, nowadays, what I would do is after they pass the assessment because of this specific role, right? The intaker or customer service data entry person that I'm looking for, 
I would only put them through two interviews, most likely. Um, I haven't gotten to that point yet because I'm still going through them. I just posted this job about a week ago, actually less, maybe a couple days ago. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through it. I'm going to mark the people that are maybes, you know, um, that if I don't get enough applicants after the end of this week, uh, I'm going to have to go back through those and then I'll reach out to them to do the first interview on the phone. The second interview I'm going to use Indeed's platform that is like Zoom, and I'm going to do an in-person, quote-unquote, interview uh, mm -hmm, virtually, mm -hmm. and I'm going to make them wear a full suit. Why? Because I'm going to ask them to stand up in the interview. I'm not going to tell them I'm going to do that, and I'm going to tell them to please stand up. Why? Because you know how many people put on yeah. pajama pants and a suit top. And then again, it's not that you have to come in and it's not that I'm going to be seeing you every day. It is the fact that you follow directions. So, you know, that's kind of how so my process wait, works. So wait, 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 just let's backtrack here a second, Grace. <laughs> you're actually going to ask them to, to, to wear business attire for the interview, and then you're going to test them by asking them to stand up? Yes. Or you're just going to call them for an interview, and then when they show up, disregarding what they're wearing, if they're wearing a suit or not, you're actually going to uh, ask them just, you know, stand up. I'm going to call them for the interview, and on that call, I'm going to tell them, if they pass that call, obviously, that I'm going to, be, to set up a secondary interview virtually in person. And on that, yeah. they need to wear a suit to that call. Okay, then fair enough. You're telling them I am to telling wear them. a suit for this call. There is there is a dress code for this interview. It's remote, but we still need to wear a dress code. You, you still need to have a dress code. Grace, 100%, you know what? I think that's, you know, very, very, very valid. Um, My tricks. I mean, yeah, you know, it's, I, it's not I, really a trick. It's I want to hear <laughs> I want to hear the results of that experiment, Grace. Share them. Don't share names, but share what <laughs> happened. That's actually very interesting. But I, I think, Grace, we, we can both agree based on what you're saying here. I, I, I think you find the right person. Yes, it's good. As you've said, it's important that people who are going to be the new team members going to be reporting to need to be part of the interview process. I just don't think that people need to go two weeks interviewing uh, employees just for the sake of having a process and just for the sake of everyone to be involved in it. If, you know, the managing partner of the law firm likes to interview every single employee at the law firm because that's the way they do things, then fantastic. But then the only thing that I would say is, you know, uh, your, your office manager interviewed, the head of department or the actual direct manager of that individual already interviewed and everybody had the, everybody gave this uh, individual the green light awesome now get the managing partner to meet that person right after those interviews don't schedule it for two weeks after because at the end of the day these are people that need a job and they're looking actively looking for a job you can lose candidates just for putting people on hold waiting for them to meet for a final third symbolic interview. That's a mistake that happens. That's a mistake that people make. And so you need to understand the sense of urgency, Grace. Now, another thing that I do think, however, it's important, right? Because sometimes people bring people into their teams without necessarily taking much into consideration as to, okay, I'm actually now hiring a manager. I'm not hiring a line level employee or an entry level employee. And I think it's very important, just as a little bit as an exercise for business owners, law firms, 
office managers and, and, and managing partners to actually understand what the response of the team will be to the type of individual they're bringing in to lead the team, right? When they're hiring for managers, not to be dismissed that part, because obviously you're not going to have the entry-level employees to actually interview who's going to be their manager. That's not actually... It, it doesn't work that way. But that's not to mean that you don't need to account for their personalities, what they care, and what's going to be a good click. Great. It's super, super important. And the reason why this also is so fresh and comes to mind is because you've probably heard either on social media or in the news uh, over this week of what happened with the, the recently appointed uh, chief editor at Team Vogue. And then the entire editorial team just went against her and said, no, we're not going to work with her because she has this past where she's made these things. And, you know, whether it's acceptable for someone to be held accountable for tweets that were sent 11 years ago uh, and that she has apologized for several times before being offered a job or not, that's a whole debate on its side. The bottom line is that the organization or condemned not to have anticipated that putting up someone with such with cert, with that record will backfire in such a way with their internal team with their with with with, with the actual team that she was going to supposed to lead that was the failure and so that was that was a big letdown both to the team and editor that they've recently appointed so it's a good reminder that you need to be mindful and very, very understanding as to how certain uh, hires can actually play out if you don't, if, if, if you get too blindsided into just looking at one side of the picture. What do you think? Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's you have to look at all sides, right? And Anytime that I've been involved in hiring, and I actually did human resources at uh, Target, as a matter of fact, in retail for a couple of years. So when it comes to hiring the right fit, personality is a huge deal. And who, how they play well with others is another huge deal. And you can kind of tell that a little bit sometimes from references, but you're also right in that unless you expose, quote unquote, the people that are going to be working under that person, how are they going to know if they're going to fit right or not? And so I have been in an interview process where a person that is under me is there. They're not interviewing me, but they're involved in the process at the very end where this person is going to be over you. You can sit in the meeting just to take notes. And then after the meeting, I know they spoke to them to see how they felt about the person that was going to be over them. Not to necessarily have them make a decision, but just to ask, hey, this is going to be your new boss. How do you feel about their personality? And yeah. just have an open discussion, right? Because we are a team. The whole firm is a team and or the whole company is a team. So let's all have a, a conversation. And yeah. at the very least, I know a couple of them were allowed to kind of submit anonymous thoughts so that they didn't yeah. feel like they were the ones saying, oh, I really don't like this person and you can't hire them. And then felt like they might, their job was at risk because they're telling, you know, the yeah. boss man not to hire this person, you know? Right. I, I, listen, there's, I agree with you. There's so many ways that this can be done. It doesn't have to be in an interview sort of like um, context. It can be kind of like meet, meet, meet the team, hear out as to 
you know, get an update from inside the team of what's been going on and so forth and so on. There is a hundred percent ways that this can be done, yes. but ultimately this falls down under the, the executive team at the end of the day to really understand and have a very, very clear understanding of what are the values of the company? What are the principles in which everyone in the organization is being held accountable to and make no exceptions on it? So Grace, I think by now we have covered some good basics. Of course, recruitment is way too complex just to encapsulate it in a 30 or 40 minute conversation. But I think we have covered some good principles that go all the way from identifying the need that you need a job uh, or a position all the way to um, conducting interviews and potentially making an offer. So let's bring it down to three takeaways. My first takeaway for everybody, no matter who you are, is clearly define your needs and your corporate yeah. culture to attach what those needs are and the personality that you're looking for, for that particular role. Yeah, I actually, Grace, uh, think the best way to go about this is to actually write a job description. And at the beginning or the end, it doesn't necessarily matter where it is, you have to have those values and mission, that component needs to tie always to the actual job description itself. There may be very high level, but they're as important as the very granular tasks that are actually going to define the day-to-day -day activities of that particular role. But I think that's also very important, right? Have a very clear understanding what is going to be the role of this person, who they're going to report to, what team they're going to be down to, because just hiring someone for the sake of hiring them and then kind of like try to figure out where do they, you know, where will they fit, what they're going to do. It's not great, not for you and not for the person that you're hiring. That uncertainty, that lack of understanding as to what they're going to do, that insecurity of am I going to be moved around one day to another place, that is not a great feeling and it doesn't tend to work, work very well. You can always leave an open note saying, you know, you may be required at times to do some jobs and activities outside of this, but initially this is your job description. This is what we expect and anticipate you to be doing here. So that's a great point. Now, you've mentioned one other thing, which I think is very important, and we can potentially make a takeaway number two. It's pay competitively. If you really want to attract talent, pay well. And if you can also offer good benefit, the more you remove worries from the people that work for you, I guess the better they can actually concentrate on doing their job without having to worry about getting a secondary job or um, how to pay for medical bills, or I really don't know, right? It really depends in your organization what you can do and so forth. The more you can do if you're in position to do that, I think you can't go wrong. What do you think, Grace? <clears throat> Definitely. I mean, honestly, I've seen enough times in... I've seen some of these uh, history of the world type shows, you know, where they showed you like uh, Hershey's and how he made this whole town uh, in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And he not only paid them well, but he gave them a place to live. He built the town for them, paid them competitively, gave them health insurance, fed them. I mean, that's what Google yeah. does. If you go to Google in, <laughs> in New York, I went to the Google in New York. Uh, yeah, yeah, Amazing. Yeah. 
They feed you yeah, yeah. gourmet food. I mean, there's yeah. pods to, to to sleep, hang out. You know, yeah. it does make I, you more productive. It really I, does. I think like Google's secret recruitment weapon is their cafeteria, right? It's really like a food court of a five-star mall with all kinds of different food stations where live cooking is happening. It's a really, really upscale experience. And that's uh, a big selling point, right? People want to know that they have that security, that they have that experience every day. And so that is why your uh, benefits can also play a massive role in getting you the right talent, particularly if you are in competitive markets, particularly if you're looking to hire very skilled people for certain positions. Now, Grace, let's bring one more takeaway. What do you think? One more takeaway. So I think this takeaway would be Use all the tools at your disposal, particularly right now during COVID. Yeah. Um, there's plenty of tools out there. You don't, it doesn't have to be Indeed. It doesn't have to be anything in spe specifically, but look for something that will help you because there's tons. I mean, you know, any yeah. type of assessment or, you know, but have all of that in place before you start going out and trying to hire um, because it will make it a lot easier on you and the person that you're trying to hire um, because then they have a mechanism to communicate with you. Um, and if you don't want to communicate with them directly, at least this way you have a platform that they're going to, to uh, see if they're a good fit. Um, because I know a lot of times people don't want to post jobs on their website and things like that because people may be contacting them too often or directly and you may not have the mechanism to handle that at, as a big you know, company, you're, you might be one person. And if that's the case, then that's fine. Use the tools that are out there for you so that it makes it easier on you to hire and recruit and all of the little things that you need to do to to get the right role. What do you think? Yeah, there's a lot of uh, platforms that really facilitate this whole process, make it rather easy. And it's not just that great, but also allow you to, to have a more proactive approach in your recruitment efforts, right? If you just post your job on a bulletin board or something like that, you're waiting for people to come and actually apply for the job. Whereas platforms like Indeed, uh, ZipRecruiter, LinkedIn, they're actually proactively messaging people whose profile match what you're looking for and letting, letting them know whether they're seeking for employment or not. Hey, there's this position that you qualify for, it seems like, at least based on your skills and experience, and you can apply for it if you're interested. That's really fantastic because it really allows you to expedite the process, to get more applicants in and to move things through the pipeline as fast and efficiently as you can. I would just add there, Grace, treat your recruitment process like any other goal. Set a deadline by when you anticipate to have somebody on the job because if you're not doing that, you can end up having open positions forever right? And that's unproductive for everyone, particularly for your team whose workload is potentially, they're getting overwhelmed uh, by it in case uh, you're actually trying to replace someone who's recently left or not. So make sure that you have deadlines for that. And as I've mentioned as well, don't make the interviewing press, uh, process ridiculous and tedious for everyone. Be efficient, conduct interviews, if possible, line them up like one after the other, like 
block out people's calendars so that if the person actually made it through the screening interview, can move on to the head of department interview. And if they can move to the head of department, they can move on to talk to the uh, managing partner if necessary. So that those three interviews or uh, at least the last two interviews can happen on the same day. Otherwise, you're just going to lose the interest also of the candidates potentially. One last point to what you were saying about the calendar and making sure that everyone is available. Um, I have a resource calendar so that everyone shows availability at the same time. And so when yeah. I book the time for the person to do the interview, it's automatically added to the resource calendar. So yeah, exactly what you said. Yes, that is super important. You need to make sure everyone's available at the same Grace, time. Grace, what a nightmare the days of, are you available this day at oh, this yeah. time? Crazy. Waiting for an email one day. No, I'm not. I can do this day. Oh, okay. How about this time? Can you do that time? You know what? Something just popped up, no longer available. Thank God we're no longer in those days, Grace. Thank you so much. And we'll be back next week. Another episode next week. All right. Take care, Grace. Have a lovely rest of your day. Bye. Bye. If you like our show, make sure you subscribe, tell your coworkers, leave us a review and send us your questions at ask at incamerapodcast.com. We'll see you next week. Thank you.